Hello, and welcome to Physician Spotlight. I am your host, Dr. Jay Patel. Physician Spotlight is a forum to learn more about our outstanding physicians in the field of nutrition and discuss important topics and ideas. With the help of Aspen, we are bringing these videos to you. Our guest today is Dr. Renee Stapleton. Dr. Stapleton is a professor of medicine in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Vermont in Burlington, Vermont. With over 15 years of clinical and research experience, Dr. Stapleton has made numerous contributions to advance clinical nutrition and enhance clinical care. She has led multiple nutrition RCTs, including a novel trial examining the effect of combined exercise and protein delivery in critically ill patients. Dr. Stapleton, I am delighted to have you here today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Dr. Patel. Happy to be here. Dr. Stapleton, can you please share with us how you got started in clinical nutrition? And in particular, what was it about nutrition that, that caught your attention and made you wanna focus on it for a good chunk of your career now? Sure, thank you. You know, during my pulmonary and critical care fellowship, I um, became really interested in uh, clinical research, specifically in the ICU. And at the time, I realized that um, ICU nutrition research was a little bit of an open box. There were a lot of research questions that hadn't been um, fully answered. There were a lot of small randomized trials. Um, out there that were single center, but some of the big remaining questions hadn't really been answered in an organized fashion. And overall, ICU supportive care is really a topic that interests me with nutrition being a component of that. Um, so I think really it was the research questions that needed to be answered that kind of grabbed my interest to begin with. Yeah. And do you recall um, what were some of your earlier projects and um, what sort of obstacles did you face in trying to get some of these off the ground? Yeah, great question. You know, I started off um, when I was early in my fellowship uh, doing a retrospective cohort study, trying to, um, at the time, really answer the question if uh, early nutrition versus delayed nutrition in the form of EN or enteral nutrition um, was associated with outcomes. And there were some small RCTs then and some meta-analyses that had been done, but um, not many definitive large RCTs. So I kind of do what a, a lot of trainees do and started with a database study. Um, I really uh, had a great time developing that skill set and, and working with people on that. Um, and then later on in uh, my fellowship, as I kind of moved into facultyhood, um, I was uh, lucky enough to have the infrastructure and the mentorship to do a randomized trial of uh, fish oil versus a saline placebo in patients with acute respiratory distress syndrome. That was designed to be a phase two study with um, uh, an intermediate biological outcome. Um, uh, and we ultimately finished that in, um, I think, 2007 or eight um, or so, and it, it turned out to, to be negative. Concomitantly with that, um, the ARDS network, now called the pedal network, but ARDS net at that time, was also working on theirs, their phase three study, um, the OMEGA study, which, um, as you know, was also negative. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you bring up, you know, some, some uh, interesting uh, things there. In particular, I'm, I'm really curious to learn a little bit about how, you know, um, when you became faculty, 
or even when you were, say, a fellow doing some of this work, what impact did, did mentorship have on your development and, and what impact does it have now? Oh, I think, great question. Mentorship is absolutely, I think, the most important um, facet of uh, career development other than an individual's uh, passion and drive to, you know, to really succeed and make a research career work. Um, I've been blessed over my career with a whole host of mentors uh, from multiple disciplines, not only within pulmonary and critical care. When I was training um, at the University of Washington in Seattle, uh, Dr. Randy Curtis was my main mentor, and to this day, I still collaborate with him regularly. Um, you know, we, we have an R01 now that we're working on together, um, and that's been a really enjoyable collaborative relationship for almost more than 20 years now. Um, and multiple other people, I think, have contributed um, to my success, too. Certainly when I came to the University of Vermont in 2007, um, Dr. Polly Parsons, who's my division chair, I mean, excuse me, my department chair, has been a great mentor, as has my division chief, Dr. Ann Dixon, um, as well as Jason Bates, who's more of a pharmacology mathematical modeling type person. I think it's been very multidisciplinary. Um, and then in terms of... Uh, one other comment I'd like to make about mentorship is that for somebody doing clinical research, especially when you're um, doing studies where you're enrolling patients, research coordinators are extremely important. And, you know, I've been um, blessed to be mentored by multiple outstanding research coordinators over, over my career so far. And to be totally honest, I still learn from them every day. Yeah, no, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, there really are eyes and ears and there are, you know, boots on the ground and some of the skill set that they, you know, bring to what we have to do to execute, you know, some of the work that we want to propose is just, uh, you know, irreplaceable. So, so thank you for saying that as well. You know, for, for junior faculty who may watch this video and say, wow, you know, Dr. Stapleton has, has done some tremendous work over the, the past 15 years. What sort of lessons have you learned along the way? And what kind of um, you know, wisdom could you impart on junior faculty who are maybe looking to make a career in clinical or even bench nutrition? Well, um, you know, I think I still think to make an academic research uh, career viable um, in addition to mentorship and um, the passion for this work. One, one thing that really needs to exist is um, the support uh, from those around you um, to give you protected time. You, you know, I think you need to have at least 70-ish percent of time initially in your career to make it work so that you have the adequate time to publish and um, you know, work on your studies. Yeah, I think you really need to be able to enjoy uh, writing because the name of the game in academic medicine is publishing and and writing grants um, and that's a skill set that I think a lot of um, trainees need to need to develop I actually wish retrospectively that I had um, maybe minored in English or something mm -hmm. like that as an undergraduate because the writing skills um, you know have become so crucial um, but that's been something I've I've had to to learn to do yeah and you know, what resources would you point junior faculty towards to enhance their writing, to make them, you know, better clinician researchers, for example? Um, 
I think a lot of academic institutions have workshops available on grantsmanship and um, publishing that you can access. Um, I know uh, University of Vermont has those, as do a lot of other institutions that I'm aware of. Um, professional organizations sometimes offer them as well. That might be a place to, to seek them. Um, and one real, I think, hands-on way to do it is just sit down and write and have your mentors read what you write over and over and over again. Um, and don't be surprised if, you know, track changes come back on your documents and everything is redlined. Yeah. Um, a fellow that I'm currently mentoring um, has put together a draft of an American Thoracic Society abstract mm -hmm. And um, I sent it back to her and she said, boy, it's 70% red. And I said, well, it's okay. That means that you're, you know, you're working hard and, and you're learning. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, th I think your mentors, uh, your mentors will be good writers and they will help you learn how to do that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, I will add that, you know, um, redlining just means a sign of a good mentor as well. It's somebody who's just being really thoughtful. Um, well, you know, we appreciate having you here today. And maybe one final question for you is, what questions are you asking right now related to clinical nutrition? And what questions do you think the larger clinical nutrition community should be asking? Yeah, great question. I think uh, it, you mentioned this um, during your introduction, but one of the major research questions we're working on now is uh, whether or not the combination of early exercise plus amino acid supplementation in um, the intensive care unit improves uh, outcomes. So we're working on a multi-center randomized trial of in-bed cycling combined with um, IV amino acid supplementation. There are a lot of outcomes in that study, but the primary one is six minute walk distance at hospital discharge um, to, to try to really get at um, whether a pretty robust functional outcome um, is changed by this intervention. With the COVID pandemic and research shutdowns uh, off and on across the country and the surge happening now, um, that has been, uh, that study has been a struggle over the last nine months. And I think it's gonna continue to be. Um, aside from just busyness in the ICU and a, a lot of ICUs being overwhelmed with COVID chaos, you can imagine things like getting the in-bed cycle in and out of a COVID room is um, an infection control issue. So we've had to troubleshoot a lot of things that we never expected to do. Um, uh, but to answer your second question, which was related to kind of current hot topics um, in, in critical care nutrition, I think one big one that's out there is how much protein we need to be giving these people. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like the question of, uh, early versus delayed um, has, has been um, pretty well resolved. And especially the question of uh, early full calorie versus um, you know, lower calorie, that's been, I think, answered now with, with multiple randomized trials. And in, in all comers um, that are pretty nutritionally um, nutritionally set and, and not compromised, I think it probably doesn't matter so much how many calories we necessarily give over the first few days. What matters is that you get enteral nutrition going. But the question about protein hasn't really been answered yet. And we need some, um, we need some robust 
multi-center, um, multinational randomized trials testing a lower dose versus a maximum dose uh, of protein. So I think that's that's one of the big next steps to get taken care of. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. At this point, I would like to thank Dr. Stapleton for joining us today and sharing her insight and wisdom. I would also like to thank Aspen for their partnership for this forum. Dr. Stapleton, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much.